Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, we chat with experts, athletes, coaches and authors to educate and inspire you. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with my very good friend, Sputnik. He is an author, speaker, storyteller, adventurer, business strategist, and internationally awarded creative. But today we're going to talk about all things running and adventures and everything that goes with it, from PBs to injuries to being airlifted to safety to inspiring others. There is so much to love about this episode. And for anyone who knows Sputnik, knows he's an incredible storyteller. So trust me when I say you will get a few laughs out of this one. So to all the runners, adventurers, and those wanting inspiration to run, this one is for you, my friends. Enjoy this episode with Sputnik. Cool. Well, the reason I wanted to chat with you today is because obviously um, you're a massive adventurer and runner. And in fact, that's how I became to know you was through your uh, running events and pursuits. So you I don't guess- mean that. You mean you mean <laughs> you came to know came to know me because I was always doing something stupid and getting injured and coming and well, going. Can you please? <laughs> I remember the very first meeting, or very me- meeting you first, and that was at um, the Joggers World Fun Run. It was the very first Joggers World Fun Run that we massaged at, and you. Oh, Rymel Park. At, exactly, and is that where it was? You yeah, over right. To me, and you said to me, "We've got the same haircut because." <laughs> Red hair, uh, yeah, red through my hair, through the fridge, and that was when you had a lot of hair. Well, you've got a lot of hair now, but scraggly yeah. hair with your red stripe. At red the and that yeah, was right. You said that's that was the introduction. We've got I panicked and I thought, oh my god, what did I walk <laughs> over and say? But there you go, that's acceptable, I think, isn't it? Even in this day and age. <laughs> uh, and then you got a massage, and and that was how how this beautiful friendship began but tell me where did your or when did your running journey begin oh wow if i'd known you're going to ask that question i would have seen if i could have got my like grade five trophy out for you (laughs) um so so at school when i was like a little tacker i was actually into running but you know athletics not not like running like I run now, which I wouldn't call. It's part of the school curriculum. (laughs) Yeah, and I was basically shit at like any kind of sport because that requires coordination, teamwork, skill, talent, you know, all those things. But it turns out I could put one foot in front of the other, you know, and repeat (laughs) uh, and do that quite quickly. So at school I was actually into, and I was always like, the second fastest kid in my class. There was a guy called James Gregorio, who I think that was his name, and he was like my nemesis. So the only time I ever won the gold medal at sports day 
was when he was sick or away on holidays or something like that. So I, I suspect that when you asked that question, you didn't necessarily want me to talk about school sports days, but it's relevant. So all through school I ran uh, until about year 11. Then when I got to year 11 and I used to get uh, assaulted, let's not call it bullied because bullied could mean lots of things, but when I used to have the actual shit kicked out of me and I've been thrown in the River Torrens and, you know, you name it, then my running actually became more of a life skill or a life preservation skill than a sport. So then I was quite grateful that I could run quite fast. And so I kind of kept running, did martial arts for a while so that I, when I couldn't run, I could, you know, throw one back. And then I didn't run for years with any kind of commitment. I was probably a, and I hate it when people use this word, but I was a bit of a jogger. You know, my dad would get out there in his KT26s and his little, you know, shorts and his chesty bonds tank top and go for a jog. So I used to do that a little bit and try and stay, you know, I guess fit. And then it wasn't until I think I ran my first marathon before I started running, if that makes sense. Is this question still too, is this answer still too long-winded? I'm going to keep going. So I was, I, I used to run a bit and then I went, maybe I'll do a half marathon. That sounds like an interesting thing to do. And I was in Bali and I went for a run and I got really lost. And this is before you could have, um, people will forget, you didn't always just have GPSs and smartphones and stuff, right? You just had to kind of make it up as you went along. But Nike were one of the first people. They had this little thing that you could put in your shoe. Like they made shoes with a little hole underneath the inner sole and you put this little sensor in there and it connected to, I don't know, something somewhere. I don't know what. Maybe it was your phone. I don't know. And then you logged it afterwards and it tell you how far you've gone and all this sort of stuff. Maybe it linked to your iPad or, I don't know, not iPad. What are those things called? What do we have? What were the music things that we had? The Apple ones that were like... The iPod. We don't even have them anymore. Oh, iPod. Is it? it is an iPod, isn't it? Yeah, not an iPad. That's it. Yeah. We're all linked together and, you, you know, and I got lost though. So I ended up running like 30 kilometres and I turned up back at the beach and I was like, you know, dying and sweating and, you know, I was like, oh my God. And then I went, hang on, I just ran 30 kilometres, which means I know I can run a half marathon. So maybe I'll run a marathon. And so I turned up to... Um, the sporting arena, like it's a park or whatever it is. I signed up for the Adelaide Marathon. It used to start there. There probably, my memory tells me there were probably only a couple of hundred people. There might've been more. And I stood right at the back and I stood next to this guy and I just said, they're doing the briefing and I said, any last minute advice? And he goes, oh, if you've done the training, you'll be fine. And I just went, oh, oh, oh I'm, in, I'm in deep shit because my training was basically getting lost in Bali, running 30 kilometres and going, how hard could 42 be? <laughs> so that was how I ran my first marathon. And I think I was crossing the finish line when they were calling out the door prizes and they called out my number and I could barely walk. And I, so I won a pair of shoes or something, probably from Joggers World. And that was my first marathon. And then I didn't really run again for another two years. Two years? Yeah, I think I went, oh, I did that marathon thing. And then I went, lived in Cambodia, got fat, probably about as fat as I am now. <laughs> and 
And when I left, they gave me a staff photo. Well, that'll be here somewhere. But anyway, and of course, all my little Kamai friends are, well, a bit like you, actually. They're just like little teeny tiny little things. And then there's me, this big fat white guy at the back. And I went, oh, man, I probably need to lose some weight. So I'll sign up for the New York Marathon. Because that's Sputnik logic. So I signed up for the New York Marathon and started running. What year was that? That's the end of that. Uh, that's 2010. 2010. So 2010, I came back at the end of 2009 from Cambodia, dicked around for a month or two and then went, right, I'm going to sign up for the New York Marathon. I thought if I, and you had to like raise money and stuff, you know, yeah. it was one of those charity entries. And I thought if I pay all this money to go and commit to raising money, then I'll feel bad if I don't actually do it. So I kind of made the pain point quite high. Yeah. And so then I just started running every single race, like every Sark race, every trail running essay was still part of Sark at that time. So I discovered trail running. And so in the lead up to the New York Marathon, I also ran the Adelaide Marathon and Eurobilla the first time, which is a 56K trail race. So I actually did a 56K trail race to train for a 42K road marathon. And... Um, and did that. And then, yeah, this is the same story. And so then, go on. Did you train all these events just so you could have that conditioning so you could complete New York comfortably or were you actually training to run a certain time? Because this is the second, well, in this, it was the second marathon when you decided you were going to do New York, but obviously you've done a whole bunch prior to your yeah. training. Yeah, you, you, you asked that question like there was some sort of logic or plan or strategy attached <laughs> to it and you've gone a little bit, gone a little bit wrong there. <laughs> um, I think I just, I'm, you know, I have an addictive personality, right? So like a lot of runners, once we're into something, you know, we're into it. So you just go, Oh, I'm going to run everything and I'm going to do everything. I'm going to run further and I'm going to see if I can do this and this and this. So I did join up a little, um, you know, when those, when that Nike thing had the little, whatever that whole system was called, uh, I did join like a 26 week, you know, train for a marathon program. And I did stick to that reasonably well. Um, but when races came up, I just went, oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. And there was absolutely no strategy behind, um, oh, that'll make the marathon easier or anything like that. Um, it actually became, it's always a, another story with me. I don't know how you're going to bloody use this. But anyway, there's always another story. So because I had to raise money for charity and I'd never raised really money for charity before. And so in the days before GoPro, and now everyone will go, oh, everyone does that, but this wasn't a done thing. I thought, how am I going to raise money for charity? So I started running with a little waterproof camera one of these sort of, you know, just a normal, in fact. <laughs> it was probably this one here, actually, which is an older version of that. So I used to always have these little waterproof cameras and I would run along and go, here I am, running along, getting ready for the New York Marathon, donate some money, right? So I started doing video blogs before there were influencers and vloggers and all that sort of stuff. It was just my way of going... I've got to get someone to donate money, otherwise I'm screwed. And so 
I then realised that when I flew to America, I was going to stop in LA. And I thought, oh, I can do like my last fundraising video from LA before I go to New York. How cool will that be? So I'll go a little run. And somewhere, because this is Sputnik logic and people are going to go, that doesn't make any sense and that would be right. Somehow that morphed into me hiring a 26-foot motorhome in LA and driving to New York and running somewhere different every day for about two and a half weeks, like driving down to the border of Mexico and running into Mexico so that I could go, oh, I went into Mexico and then driving up to the border of Canada and running across into Niagara Falls so I could say, oh, I ran into Canada on the way to New York and running in, you know, all these amazing places just because that seemed like the logical <laughs> thing to do, which of course wasn't. But that's, and I was really worried that by the time I got to the... Well, I was really worried by the time I got to New York I might be worn out, but it turns out that by the time I... By the time I got to New York, I was quite well conditioned and my body had been, you know, running somewhere between five and 10 Ks every day, as well as driving across the entire country, yeah. um, driving this big bloody thing. So by the time I got to New York, I went, oh yeah, I'm all right. And I think to this day, it might actually be the only marathon I've ever run where I didn't walk any of it. So it's not my fastest marathon. I've run a marathon much faster, but I did walk a bit in the faster one. But I think that one I just plotted and, yeah. yeah. What's your memory of crossing the line in New York? Oh, thank fuck for that. Uh, <laughs> am I allowed to swear? Sorry. I don't know if you can no, edit that out. I don't um, have the, uh, the, the tech capabilities or understanding of how to bleep it, so uh, it's in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, my memory was, no, I was excited. Um, I'd set myself, I always set myself or used to anyway, like multiple goals for a race. First goal is get to the starting line. Don't ever take that for granted. Right. And as you would well know, I've had some, and I guess we'll talk about that at some stage, uh, some pretty decent injuries. So there's plenty of races that I haven't made it to the start line. Second goal, get to the finish line, regardless of time, how hard, whatever, get to the finish line is the second goal. And then I sort of set maybe one, two or three different time goals. So what's my kind of worst case scenario? What's my best case scenario if everything goes really well? And then realistically, based on where I'm up to, and you can kind of predict if you're running a certain pace, if everything goes well, you'll probably run that. So I think I set myself, my ultimate goal, I think, was to run about four hours. And uh, as I was coming down the home straight, I realised I was going to make it and I ran 3.59.10. And then when they gave me the official time, they gave me four hours and 37 seconds and I'm still dirty about it 10 years later. <laughs> You've called them Bastards. up. Bastards. I, I don't know what happened, but, yeah, somehow I lost, uh, what's that, 47 seconds or, I don't know, 50, no, a bit longer than that, a minute and a half somewhere along the way. And, uh, yeah, I'm still upset. Could have, could have had an official four hours. <laughs> Well, that kind of segues into the next question um, about finishing. One of your goals is finishing. And I find that yeah. so, so interesting because this next story I read on your website, sputniksays.com, and it is the most hilarious recount 
for the marathon. Oh. Not because it's funny, but because of the, the way you tell the story, which is hilarious. But it's like, I feel your pain and I don't understand how you completed a marathon when you felt so shit at 14 kilometres. You had 28 kilometres to go. And you still yeah, it was a rough day. through the Cooper PD Breakaways Marathon. Tell us about that. Well, look, I quite like quirky events these days. So I've done a couple of big events like, you know, Sydney Marathon or New York Marathon. You know, I did Big Sur Marathon over in America. So, you know, big ones are cool. But I like out-of-the-way ones, something that gives me a chance to build a whole adventure. So uh, I heard that there was one up in Coober and the breakaways, which is, I don't know, 20 or 30 Ks out of uh, Coober So I went and did that. What are we now? 20. So 2018, I went and did that. And I had a bit of a slow day out there. I wasn't super happy. Um, but, you know, I got it done. I think I came, came second uh, out of two, uh, but I did come second. There was three all up. Oh, in fact, I might've come third. There was a lady who ran as well. I can't remember. I think she beat me. So I came second in the men's race, third overall out of three. Um, so I went back last year, being the year after that first time, thinking, that's it, I'm going I'm to show this race who's boss. So I'm, gonna, I'm a bit better. I've trained a bit. Yeah, it didn't go like that, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, yeah, I felt sick really early on. I, I, you remember better than me. I knew it was early. But, yeah, it's two out and backs. So what would that be? Sort of 10Ks out, 10Ks back, 10Ks out, 10Ks back. Nah. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, 40Ks, yeah. And it was certainly on the first out and back. So I knocked over the first half in pretty good time. I think it was probably about two hours. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's good. Because if I can do between four and four and a half hours, I'm, I'm doing great here. And uh, to say the wheels fell off is an understatement. So first of all, there's no one else out there. There's only, I don't know, last year maybe four or five people doing the race total. Um, you're in a in a landscape that literally there's a place called the, I don't know, the moon landscape or the Mars landscape or something. There's just like nothing. There's not even one single, one single tree or anything. Um, they don't start till 10 a.m. So it's a little bit warmer already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I kind of knew early on that I was screwed and I went, should I pull out? Particularly because it's, out and back twice, so you pass the finish line. And I thought, I could just stop here, but I'm not big on DNFs. As long as you're, as long as you're not actually going to die, and I know you're going to ask me that question <laughs> next, so <laughs> I won't go into that. Um, but as long as you're not actually going to die, I go, well, worst comes to worst, I can just walk and run a bit. But, yeah, it was, it was horrific. It was easily one of the worst three races I've ever done in terms of, just how bad I felt, but I didn't want to not finish. And I thought, well, even if I walk, I, I can get to the finish line. So I just felt bad for the volunteers who are out there. Like kind of literally I was the only person on course and there's some lady reading a book and, you know, I saw her on the way out and I said, look, it's going to be ages. Don't even just go home. And she went, no, no, we'll wait for it. it was, I'll let people read the story if they want. Cause it's, yeah, I can't retell it now. So I, I really hope people go. Well, and read it because uh, my husband was looking over at me going, what are you laughing? What? <laughs> it's it's yeah. a very funny recount. It's I probably the one great thing about us being a, 
storyteller, which I fancy myself yeah. as, I mean, officially, I, that's what I do partly for a living, um, is that about three quarters of the way through the race where things really started to disintegrate, I started thinking, this could make a good story. <laughs> so I started... So I started to try and salvage my experience and go, I'm going to really force myself to notice the details, like the fact that there was a site that they said had been closed off for regeneration and it just looked like a gravel pit. And I thought, by the time I come past, there may well be trees there, you know. So it was just those little observations that I was making to myself. I didn't feel much like laughing at the time, but I did think, if I get around to writing that, this is a great insight into what it was like doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> as long as you're not dying or near death, you'll keep going. Well, yeah. But... Yeah. I mean, I did have a, I know this isn't the one you're going to ask me about, but I ran the North Face 100 up in the Blue Mountains in um, 2012 and I had an okay day out, had a bit of a dicky knee early on, but, you know, ran it in, I don't know, 19 and a half hours. I was trying to sound casual then because I know exactly how long I ran it in, but it was, you know, 1935 or something. Um, so I ran it in nine and a half hours and that kind of went okay. And then a few years later, I went back up there with a clothing company that I was working with and I got a last minute opportunity to run in the 50K race. And I thought, 50Ks, mate, it's not the 100. How hard could it be? And it took me... Um, and I am trying to remember the number, took me an hour and 20 to do the last one kilometre of that race. Wow. Um, that's not an exaggeration. Um, the last kilometre is up the, uh, there's 951 stairs up to the finish line. And uh, a bit like Cooperpedia, I'd run the first half, run the first 20 odd Ks I was, I was flying. And then I got quite crook. It's a boring story, but I've been having some issues in longer runs getting crook. And... Um, I got to these stairs and I physically couldn't get up them. So I would literally like climb like five stairs and then stop and try and gather myself. And so it took me an hour, nearly an hour and a half to get up just that last kilometre of the finish line. Uh, I'd love to say it was perseverance and everything, but there's actually just no other fucking way to get out of there <laughs> other than to get up the stairs. So I didn't have a lot of choice. Went to the medical tent and was on, you know, drips and you name it and was, yeah, pretty messed up. So that... But I, I finished, but it was not a, not a great experience. Do you think about those experiences and go, well, I did that so I can do this? No, nah, no, nah, I'm not that guy. No, nah, I just go, this is shit. Should I give up? No, nah, I don't give up. Oh, well, I guess I'll keep going. Am I going to die? Probably not. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm not that intellectual about it. I don't, I don't really draw on... Um, Past pain? I can't say that... Yeah, I can't say I've consciously ever thought, oh, well, this isn't as bad as that time that that happened or anything. I just go, no, because it's all, it's such a unique, um, so here's an actual serious observation, it's such a unique combination of things. You know, like it's, if you have a good day or a bad day, training is obviously a huge part of that, like how well you are prepared for it, but it's how you slept the night before, maybe how you slept all week. Um, whether you were sick a week earlier, whether, um, you know, the, the temperature's five degrees warmer or five degrees cooler. Uh, it's, you know, did you hydrate properly? Did you have a good poo in the morning? It's like there's so many variables that can, you know, your, your training is your baseline, but there's so many other things that can go wrong that 
on any given day, it's, it's that unique uh, alignment of stars, either for better or for worse, that for me, it's not super relevant to go, oh, but that other race was like this, because it's, it's always such a unique combination of um, characteristics or, or things that, that create that experience. So, yeah, it's more just stupidity and stubbornness for me. So, so let's talk about that near-death experience really this is because i just wanted to write a book so i had this idea i'd written a book about the creative industries and how to get into the creative industries because that's what i you know what my background is and then i thought what would i write my next book about and i wanted to write had all these ideas and i thought mm, don't know if i'm ready to do that so i'm going to write a book about running so i started collecting all my stories of running the new york marathon and doing all this stuff and i thought oh, I, I reckon i just need you know, one really big, juicy accomplishment so that got a little bit of cred, you know. So I had all these stories and then I found out about a stage race in Nepal in a place called Manaslu, which most people have never heard of, but it's like the eighth highest mountains in the Himalayas. It's like being that shit Hemsworth brother. You know, you know the, you know Luke and Chris, but you don't know the other one or Trevor Chapel or something. Manaslu is like the eighth. It's like, okay, it's like Mount Lofty or something, right? Um, and so I signed, I asked like a thousand questions to try and understand because I'm one of those people who gets my ambition and my ability mixed up quite a lot because I think I'm going to play guitar or I'm going to paint or something. And then it takes me about 30 seconds to realise I'm no good. So I asked all these questions and they went, yeah, yeah, you don't have to carry your stuff with you. I thought, okay, tick, because some of those stage races you have to carry, you know, a tent and a and a toilet and enough food for, you know, 50 days and all. And I thought, fine, oh, no way I can do that. This is like, no, no, all you got to do is just a bit of water and a snack and just get, you know, to the end of the stage and no stage is longer than 40 Ks. I'm thinking, how hard could this be? Uh, quite hard was the answer to that. Uh, so I went over to Manaslu and then on the first day, I think the first day they were like, today is just like an easy 20 K, you know, mostly flat. And at the end of the first day, there were people crying, going, oh, my God, I want to go home. I might have been one of them. <laughs> and literally, I was going, what the fuck? Because if that's the easy day and the flat day. So we went to the race director and went, isn't this supposed to be flat? And he goes, oh, it's Nepali flat. And I went, the heck does that even mean? He goes, well, you know, it's flat for Nepal. And I was like oh, this is not going to bode well for the rest of the race if the next days are steeper than the flat day. So I got through the first day pretty cool. Uh, in fact, I even helped one of the ladies who was struggling a bit. I said, why don't we run together? We seem to be running a similar pace. So I even carried some stuff for her because she, you know, had extra stuff. I said, ah, oh, you know, I'm doing all right. So second day, no problems. And then on the third day, the wheels fell off in a fairly major way. Um, so we went off the main trail. They'd organised a diversion so that we could get to a, a monastery where we would stay the night, which was apparently spectacular. I have a photo of it. looks pretty spectacular. Don't remember a lot of it. Uh, and about halfway through where we went off this diversion, there was a 1,000-metre cliff face that was so steep we were effectively using our hands for a lot of it. It wasn't in the race briefing, and that took us up probably, I don't know, maybe 3,500 metres, but in a very short space of time. And I started to feel very unwell. Uh, 
I thought I was just being a sook and a wimp and just wasn't fit enough, all of which was also true. Uh, and in the end, I had a guy who was a, a British Gurkha. So they're apparently pretty tough kind of, you know, military people from wherever the British Gurkhas are from, somewhere. Uh, just dub me saying where they're from so that I sound smarter when I tell that part of the story, if you could later. Um, and he sort of walked with me because by that stage I was walking and I was kind of doing this. I still had my camera with me, so I'd still be going, oh, I feel like I'm going to die. Uh, and I felt, seriously, I was crying, I was sobbing. on the, Again, there's no way to get out. I just had to, it was easier to go to the checkpoint than it was to try and turn around and go back. I uh, couldn't breathe properly, uh, could barely walk. There's video of it because I, I filmed the whole thing again, a bit like Cooper Petey going, oh, this might be a good way to say my goodbyes or tell a story. And when I got to the checkpoint, the doctor came out and did all the tests and went, oh no, you're, you've got HAPE or HACE. So HAPE is high altitude pulmonary, pulmonary edema, which is where your heart goes. And the other one is cerebral edema where your brain goes. And I said, so what are my chances of, you know, being okay if I keep going like 50, 50. And he said, yeah, not that good. So I suppose less than 50, 50 is, as close as I've been to a near-death experience. Uh, and I said, so do I just wait here and then, you know, give it a few? And no, the answer was they had to get a helicopter to come in and I couldn't even walk back because walking back would have been too dangerous. So, yeah, after 100 Ks and three days of running, it took me about 45 minutes in a helicopter to get back to Kathmandu. Um, but the thing I want to say is the thing that I'm most proud of is, so I went to hospital, they cleared me of any major sort of issues. So I had a rest for a day. Then I got in the back of a, and this is because I did videos on all this, but I have never edited this bit. I then got in the back of like some tiny little local bus with, you know, an old lady with a chicken next to me and all this sort of stuff. It was brutal because it was like a bus, like a 12-seater bus with maybe, oh, I was going to exaggerate, but maybe 30 people crammed in with, you know, goats and chickens and stuff. And I was on this bus for, I don't know, six hours or something. Oh, wow. And my goal was to get to the finish line of the race because it was a circuit race, right? So we were sort of running this way. I'd fly back to Kathmandu. Then I got on the bus to the finish line so that I could at least be there and cheer people on. So I, yeah, got to, and I did sort of probably half of the last stage of the race I did in reverse and then ran back with some of the other runners. And that made it, Made, made for quite a good part of the experience as well. It sounds like it was just as soon as you were yeah, yeah. Um, at normal level, sea level, like yep. you're all good. So two guys, three guys flew out, on, met myself and two other guys flew out on the helicopter. The British Gurkha came because he went, actually, I feel fine, but I've just had enough. So he hitched a ride with us. And then there was another guy from, I guess, maybe Scotland or something. We both went to hospital. He did some tests and his tests were a little bit more serious than mine. Mine were literally, hey, now you're back where the air's normal. You should be able to oxygenate or whatever the medical term for that is, fine. Um, so, yeah, just give yourself a day or two and then, you know, you'll be all right. Um, whereas he had to take it a little bit easier for a bit longer than that. And I think after that day, I think there was at least one, possibly two more evacuations at the end of, other stages because they just it was the first time they'd ever run this race and I don't think they'd properly um you know risk managed yeah. 
how tricky it could be, even for people who are much younger and fitter than myself, uh, to go through that increase in altitude in that shorter space of time. Yeah. So I think that 200K circuit is normally, you know, you do it over two weeks or something like that. And we were doing it in, I think, six days. So, yeah, in those first two days, we pulled up, you know, two and a half thousand, three thousand, three and a half thousand metres of elevation. And um, that's apparently a bit of a recipe for disaster when your body doesn't have time. But once you go back to the normal, you're all right. Did you start at sea level or was there any time? No, and that's, no, we would have already been up. And that's why I started by saying, I don't know how much elevation we pulled, maybe 2,000 uh, metres or something like that. Um, so I don't know what it was. I had a GPS, but it was early day GPSs where you didn't have long battery life. So, you know, sort of got a bit of it and ran out and tried to charge it and stuff. So, um, look, the reality is um, I think I went out in the mid threes, not even the high threes. Like, you know, I think it, I think we got the three, 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 something like that, um, which isn't even that high. Um, but it's got more to do with you know, where you were, how quickly you went up, how your body adjusts on that particular day. Again, it doesn't mean that I will always get altitude sickness. It means that on that particular day, my body didn't cope with the change in oxygen, but I could literally go and do it tomorrow and be completely fine. So I won't be doing it tomorrow. But <laughs> I have, I've, I've never said this out loud, so here we go. And hopefully everyone will forget this. I have toyed with the idea of going back and doing it in... 2022 which would be 10 years later huh? and going and seeing if i can do that race well we've recorded it now it's out to the <laughs> everyone knows about I'm, just put, I'm just putting it out there although who knows because if it had been this year no one's going anywhere are they so oh. i might be off the hook could be <laughs> saved by saved from uh from uh meeting my obligation by a global pandemic exactly well Tell us about some injuries. I guess because you're you're uh, used to running through injury. Would you say you're very good at managing yourself so you can run with said injuries, or uh, do you just completely ignore it? Uh... I wouldn't say I'm great at it. No, I would say that, like a lot of runners. We're a bit like that guy out of the Monty Python skit who could be missing an arm and going, it's only a flesh wound, I'll be fine. Um, yeah, no, I think like most runners, uh, I tend to go, oh, that'll be all right, I can run through it, aggravate it to the point where instead of being a, you know, a three or a four or a six-week recovery, it gets so serious that I need to have, you know, three to six months off uh, and then make it someone else's problem like yourself or a, or a physio or a, you know, a doctor or something and say, why can't you just fix it and um, pretend that it wasn't my fault that it got that bad in the first place. So I think, I think you do get better at recognising which niggles have the potential to escalate and because you go, oh, I've had a niggle like that before and that, you know, was okay. So I'll, I'll just kind of be a bit careful. Um, but of course we all get it wrong because weirdly enough, most of us aren't actually qualified in any way shape or form to diagnose these things so sometimes you get a niggle and you go oh that doesn't seem that bad and it turns out so i did it once for instance and i thought i hurt my ankle and i thought that's not that bad so i kept running ran another couple of races maybe even ran that 50k on it and then found out that i'd actually fractured my ankle 
and, um, you know, done all this extra damage by running on a fractured ankle and, you know, got told I'll never run again and all this sort of stuff. So I think what they meant was you'll never run fast again because now I'm just slower. Nothing to do with my ankle. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm terrible at it. I'm hopefully a little bit better at at least um, trying to go either to see someone like yourself if it's a muscular type thing that I think I can just get a little bit of, you know, jacky pain to get through. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't think you get wisdom. I think you just you just stay stupid and stubborn and, you know, I think we've seen through this whole coronavirus thing that, um, you know, running means a lot to some people uh, in a whole heap of ways, not just so that they can drink more beer or eat more donuts or whatever, but from a mental health perspective, we're seeing a lot of people, you know, be upset that they can't run in their normal places. So when you do get injured, um, there's the physical injury and then I'm sounding a little bit serious now, but it's true. You know, there's the knock-on effect of, you know, maybe you don't run with your friends, you don't see other people, you don't stick to your routine, you know, you don't go outside. There's, so, so the fact that we're stubborn isn't completely illogical because there's quite a lot of stuff to deal with depending on how much you usually train or run and, you know, all the, all the benefits that come with that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky time and there's no question that, so I reckon I've been out at least two or three times for six months at a time. Uh, and there's no question that those are my grasp on sanity. Anyone who knows me will know that I'm, you know, not the sanest, calmest person in good conditions. Um, so, yeah, when something like that happens, I have to work really hard to not be even more of a dickhead than usual. Well, that was kind of the next question. I mean, when you're told that you either won't be running ever again or you shouldn't run, uh, what what does go through your mind and how do you manage that psychological aspect of possibly not being able to do something that you are in love with? Uh, yeah, look, I'm probably better at it now because if I, if I think back to the first time I had, I think probably the first time I was out, I have a lot of problem with one of my ankles in particular, both of them, but one of them. Um, so, you know, I'll go over on my ankle quite easily. The stability in my ankles is just not there. And it's been like that for a long time. Um, and trail running has helped and hindered that. So it's helped in the sense that you do develop a lot more stability. Um, it's hindered in the sense that you're in a lot of uh, unstable surfaces running in my heyday, at least, at least at some sort of speed, but even slowly, you can just put your foot down and, and go over it. So my ankles tend to, you know, be really shit. Um, so I think the first time that happened, I didn't have any capacity at all to know what to do. I just kind of probably sat at home and felt sorry for myself. Um, I've had osteitis pubis, which was extreme and really, really difficult. That was an injury that I tended not to run through a lot because the pain was so bad that I, I physically um, couldn't run. Um, so the things that I've done though, I've learned that I sometimes I'm not great at volunteering. So I don't like, I don't like stand on a drink station at a race and go, here's your cup of water, but I like taking photos. So quite often what I would do is I would go to races, still be around the people, still be at the finish line, the start line, the finish line, perch somewhere in the middle of a trail race and take photos. And turns out that if you take a photo, of someone during a race and you don't charge them $60 for it like some of those official companies, people are so quite grateful. So I did find a little bit of a niche in still connecting with races, 
um, still being out in that environment as long as I could walk. And there were times when I couldn't even, you know, kind of do that very well. So uh, being involved at that level was really good. Um, I bought a bike. Uh, I'm, I bought a mountain bike thinking, oh, that's a way to still be on the trails. Turns out mountain biking is really bloody difficult. And so I don't, it comes to mind. <laughs> I do. Coming off your so bike. on one of my trips, Jackie's laughing because on one of my trips, I, I had my cameras and I was in Moab and I was coming down this rocky face and it sounds like quite dramatic because it's a rocky face, but it was like about that eye. And I came down and I thought, oh, this would be good for a video. So I set my video camera up and I rode back up it and rode down on the video, did it fine the second time. And then I got my camera, which has a interval timer. So it takes 10 shots. And then as I cut, so I quickly rode back up, it gave me 30s. And as I came down, I hit a, hit a crack and my tie went out and I went literally like classic ass over tit and the camera went kitty, kitty, kitty. so I've got these series of photos of me literally with the bike landing on my head and brilliant so it turns out that mountain biking isn't really my thing but it does give me the ability to do something provided the injury that I've got isn't aggravated by that motion but it's definitely a different um, physiolo physiology, yeah, whatever you know the word. Your body works in different ways. Yeah. It's not the same impact and all that. So I do do a little bit of that. And the other thing I bought when even bike riding was a problem was my kayak. Yeah. And so it turns out kayaking is uh, sitting on your ass. Your legs do pretty much nothing. So if you've got a lower body injury, all you're really doing most of the time is this. Um, so they're the things physically that I did to um, still be able to enjoy the outdoors, get fresh air, uh, have some of that time, albeit in completely different ways. I mean, the mountain biking thing, not so different because you're still on trails. Kayaking, completely different, but exactly the same mm -hmm. in the sense that solitude, nature, fresh air, you know, maybe animals, just less kangaroos, more dolphins or, you know, usually um so yeah and so they're the things that i and then i got into doing some very basic but adventure races because i thought oh i've got a bike and a, a kayak now so i've done a couple of little races where you might you know do all three of those things so not triathlon because i can't swim yeah. and that doesn't interest me but i can do this a bit in a kayak so even though i'm slow and have a shit kayak um, you know, I did go and do one over in Perth, or not Perth, but in Kalbarri in Western Australia, um, and did uh, one or two in Murray Bridge and start where they have a thing called Adventure Thom. So that's been cool where instead of putting the emphasis on, so when I got into running, I first went, oh, now I've got to run further and I've got to run faster. So you go, okay, I've run a half marathon, now I've run a marathon, now I want to run an ultra marathon, and now I'm going to run 100K, and then I'm going to run a 100 miler. And I never ran a 100 miler because I kind of got to the 100K thing, did a couple of 100K races, and went, oh, I actually just don't really enjoy them. Mm. And I know no one really runs 100Ks and goes, oh my God, that felt so amazing. You do it because of the sense of achievement and you know, all that and, and the training you do and who you become in that process. But I got to the point where I kind of took a little bit of a detour and went, maybe instead of running further and faster, I'll just do some other stuff and pick certain kinds of races that are either in interesting places or, you know, like I say, riding a mountain bike, doing a duathlon. I've got one up near Murray Bridge where, you know, you run 10Ks and then ride 20Ks. And I go, oh, 
it just mixes it up and a bit easier on the body. And yeah, so that's sort of where I've dabbled in. I'm rubbish at all those things, but I've dabbled in that stuff. I've never heard of that sort of thing. Obviously, triathlons are very commercial, but was it Adventure-thon where you are doing a kayak, bike ride and run? Yeah, yeah. So um, adventure racing is a really big thing and, and, and people would normally have heard because sometimes they're on TV or cable or whatever um, where people do like five-day races where they've got to self-navigate and, you know, do all this sort of stuff and cover hundreds of kilometres. But at the, at the lower end, there is a, there's a series in Australia called Adventure-thon and they have different levels. So they're in um, Anglesey in Victoria... Uh, Magnetic Island in Queensland, Murray Bridge started last year. It was actually supposed to be on, I think, like two weeks ago, but obviously cancelled with everything else. Um, so they've got them in most states. And they've got entry-level things where you can, I don't know, like kayak 4Ks and then run 10Ks and ride 15Ks or something. So you don't have to be hardcore. You can kind of, which is why I did it, you can sort of ease into it and still get a little bit of dabble uh, without needing to have a team of people who are, you know, drinking their own wee overnight to survive and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure there are other ones. That just happens to be the series that I didn't know. Uh, and, yeah, I love it because it is a good way to sample uh, adventure racing and then not, no navigation required. They still mark out the course and everything. So, yeah. What would you say is the most memorable event that you participated in? For whatever reason, what's been the most memorable? You know, this is going to sound wanky, but I got interviewed for something completely different just a few days ago, and they asked me a similar question, not about events. And I had to confess that I'm just the person who, you know, when someone goes on Facebook and says, tell us your top 10 albums or top 10, I just can never do those lists because... I go, well, it depends what the criteria is. So what's a memorable event? Oh, I nearly fucking died. That'd be pretty memorable. Like, so well, exactly. Napoleon would be For whatever like reason. Um, I don't remember that one to be. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, I think it varies. Um, what would I say? Probably one of my favourite events that I've Dude, ever run. What, what came to your mind as soon as I said that? Was there something was there yeah. that came to your mind straight away? Yeah, a few years ago. So maybe 20... I say a few years ago, it might be 2015 or something. Now, I might have done the Big Sur Marathon. So Big Sur is S-U-R, not like I'm a Big Sur or anything. <laughs> so it's the basically America's version of the Great Ocean Road. So it's a section of road that goes between LA and San Francisco. And somewhere along the way, I found this race and had my heart set on doing it. And I don't really know. I couldn't. There's no logic to most of what I do. Um, and you had to kind of, you know, try and register at a certain time, which our time was like three in the morning or something because it was American time, you know, whatever. So I had to get up and, and I got into this race and uh, I turned it into an adventure. So I went over there for three weeks and, you know, drove around and did all this other cool, went to Yosemite and, you know, did all this other stuff. But there was just something about, it's a road marathon, but it's quite hilly. Um, and there's just something about that part of the world that was probably one of my favourite races that I've ever done. I went, had quite a good day out. So, you know, I ran okay. Um, didn't have to get helicopter rescued. Didn't have to go to the medical tent on a drip. Um, that's probably one of my favourite races. And I'll give you another one because I didn't think of it first, but to this day, it, it, maybe it's a better race, is 
in 2013, we were all training, a bunch of friends were training for the six foot track in the Blue Mountains, which is it's about a 45k trail race, I think. So we're all training for it. And about two weeks out, there were floods and it uh, made it unsafe. There's a river crossing where they put a rope across the river. And in normal weather, you wade across about waist deep. doesn't flow very fast. You just hang onto the rope and off you go. And about two weeks out, there were floods and this thing was, you know, five times as wide as normal and, you know, torrential flooding. And they just went, look, we're going to have to cancel the race. And so... uh, the guy who ran Tarawira over in Rotorua in New Zealand uh, said, look, if anyone was training for that race and you're fit and want to do something, come over and run our race. We'll give you a half price entry and uh, do that instead. So again, Sputnik logic, I've been training for a 45K race so that I could save half price on an entry. I flew to New Zealand. <laughs> That's how, how the logic works. Told everyone I was going to do the 60K race, signed up for the 100K and uh, went and ran the 100k trail race when I'd been training for a 45k trail race in Australia, went to New Zealand and ran a 100k race. And to this day, that race was, A, I ran it in 14 and a half hours, which was like my first ever 100k race and way beyond my expectations. B, I'd never been to New Zealand at the time and just went, holy shit, how have I been to other places in the world and not been there? Because it was like this magical kind of, make-believe place it was so beautiful um and yeah did something that i hadn't really planned on doing had a good day trail was beautiful the people were amazing met people all over the world made good friends that's probably if i'd been forced to stop and think that was probably my favorite event this might be a similar question don't overthink it what event or moment in your running has been the most proud moment Oh, uh, no, I don't know if that is the same question for me. Um, most proud. I don't, this is going to be a week. This is like getting to the end of The Bachelor and going, look, I choose no one. Um, I don't know if I'm proud of much that I've done. I don't know if I'd use that word to describe anything that I've done in running. Really? Not I, understand, I think I, I understand the nature of the flag for 50 kilometres. What was that one running with a rainbow flag for 50 kilometres? Yeah, you know what, now that you say that, so last year when um, when there was some angst around Israel Folau and, you know, gender and sexuality and all those sorts of things, I did start running with a rainbow flag. It was going to be a one-off thing. Um, I ran a half marathon up in Murray Bridge with this. I bought it online and I thought, I was, I was waiting for it to arrive and I thought, I wonder if it's going to be big enough. And then it turned out this thing was massive, right? <laughs> And I never even did a test with it. I just tied it to a broom pole and turned up to the Murray Bridge Marathon with this thing over my shoulder. And someone said, you're going to run the whole thing with that? And I went, oh, that's the, that's the plan. I had no idea if I could. Anyway, I did. Um, so, yeah, but I would say I was, and that you're probably right. I probably am most proud of some of the runs I ended up doing with that but not really anything to do with the running part. I did it because I'm proud because inevitably there'd be, and it would only ever be one or two. Inevitably there would be one or two people who would come up to me either during the event or at the end and tell me their story. Some of which were quite um, 
personal and not always happy stories and say that they were grateful for me doing that. So I got heckled a few times, um, directly or indirectly afterwards on social media. Um, but when you have someone who comes up and says, my son or daughter is trans or is going through this and to see you doing that was, you know, meant a lot to me. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but that would be, I mean, most of what we do in life just doesn't make any fucking difference, right? Like who gives a fuck if I run the New York marathon and or get a PB or, and I, I know this is a sport thing, but you know, if you interview me, this is what you get. Like none of it matters, right? Like it's, you know, it's fun or it's interesting or whatever, but it's not, it's, the world's not going to stop turning if we don't do that. Like we've got this pandemic at the moment and people are losing their shit going, oh, but I like to run in the trails because that's good for my mental. Oh, go fucking run around the suburbs, mate. You'll, you'll survive, you know. This, 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 is not, this is not life or death shit, right? And I understand that there are people, myself included, who we all have our own stuff to deal with. I don't even want to call it mental health issues because you know, that comes with lots of, you know, sort of expectation or whatever. But, yeah, most of what we do isn't that consequential. Whereas I actually felt last year, I'm so glad you raised that. I'd completely forgotten about that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like my running actually made a difference to at least one person or one person at each race or whatever. I mean, I was literally, I was running, I, I went over to Melbourne to do the Run Melbourne Half Marathon, not the Melbourne Half Marathon, but there's a thing called Run Melbourne. And I was running along. It was the most amazing thing. I was literally running along and I did, did okay in that run. So with the flag, I'm running about two hours for a half marathon, which is, you know, not too shabby. And I was running along and this guy came up next to me and he was running a lot faster than me. And he had this, he was like this, just this, I don't know how else to say it, but this beautiful looking, he must have been from like Nepal or somewhere. He had this dark skin. He was really striking looking and he didn't even look like he was puffed out. I reckon we're, Maybe at the 15k mark, I'm slobbering. I've probably got boogers. I've got, you know, this crazy hair everywhere. I'm like, <gasps> you know, and he just comes up next to me and without saying a word, he just looks at me and without breaking stride, he goes like this and then just keeps running. And it was like, it was like the most amazing. I've got no idea if he maybe didn't speak English. Maybe he just didn't need to speak yeah. and say anything was like one of my most beautiful moments even remembering it now I'm like yeah that happened that was and so to me things like that is yeah so I had a shit answer and you helped me find a good one thank you <laughs> pleasure no problem can you I can I go back to being stupid and not too serious now <laughs> yeah bad for my image being too serious for too long well I'm gonna round this up I don't know if you want to end this with a stupid answer but for anyone who um maybe well i mean obviously right now there are no events um what what's your message to anyone who is a runner or is someone who likes to get out and and move and what's your message to them in terms of keeping healthy physically and mentally well my first part of my message is don't take any advice from me because what would i know and have a look at me i've eaten Eating more um, donuts and chocolate. This is a this is a block of Kit Kat, and it says, "I got to show you." It says, 
share and reclose. And let me give you the big tip. Neither, neither of those things happen. Yeah, correct. There's nothing to reclose. Anyway, and there was certainly no sharing going on either. Um, no, I do have some advice though, because one of my favourite quotes, and we stole it from somewhere, but we used to, there's a few of us used to run together and we'd be running on the trails and someone would say, oh, what are you training for? And our answer would always be life, motherfucker, life. <laughs> because quite often we wouldn't be training for anything. We just wanted to be capable. And one of the things that um, I made an observation to someone the other day and I said, you know, I think my days of running, you know, 50s and anything longer than that, uh, long gone, I, I quite like running about a 20. And I said, but I've worked something out. When you drop down, 20 becomes hard because you're not training for a 50. Yeah. 20's only easy when you're training for 50. The minute you drop down to 20, then only a 10's easy. And then, you know, so it's all relative. But so the first thing is, yeah, train for life, not for events. And so that when you do have to, you know, you find yourself doing a hike or something and it's difficult, you've got the ability, hopefully, obviously we all face challenges of different sorts. Uh, and the other thing is, what a great time to reevaluate why you run, you know, and we've got this, um, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I don't have them in sight, but I could show you hundreds of, you know, medals and all that sort of stuff. You know, even 10 years ago, medals weren't that common uh, at the end of a race. Uh, I guess we hadn't quite got to the stage where China could smash out you know, medals for five bucks each. So, you know, we can all just make medals now. Um, so there's a fascination with all the the bling and the external stuff. And like I say, I've absolutely done races before and gone, I'm going to do that race because I want that specific medal. Uh, so please don't think I'm above that. But I'm watching people, and it's not for me to tell other people what their values should or shouldn't be, right? I'm not the run police even though I act like it quite often. Um, but, yeah, just because there's no event doesn't mean you can't train. Just because there's no medal doesn't mean you didn't finish the race. Uh, and I wrote something the other day and I said, let's just not forget running, running events isn't really about running the event. If you go and do a marathon, the 42Ks of the marathon isn't the race. The 42, 42 kilometres is like just the last 42 kilometres of what's probably going to have been hundreds of kilometres of training. And that's just the last bit. Just like when you do run a marathon and you go, oh, my God, there's only one kilometre to go. Getting to the start of a race, it's like, oh, there's just 42 to go. Like that's the, the, the hardest part of the work has been in the weeks and the months leading up to it. And it's, you know, I know this is a bit cliche, but it is about who we become. You know, it is about having discipline and enthusiasm and what, and I didn't make this up, I stole this word, but what we call stick to itness. You know, people would call it perseverance or something, but, you know, it is about, oh, it's hot today, but I'm going to go and train anyway, or it's raining and I'm going to go and train. It's all those things that you asked me earlier, do I look back at events and go, oh, that event was really hard, so if I've done that, you know, I should. I don't do that consciously, but I don't, as, as humans, that's how we grow, right? We, we, you know, nothing is ever wasted. It all gets, becomes part of who you are. So all of that training, every bit of, you know, discomfort, every bit of 
keep on going when you feel like stopping. All of those things is make is what makes us who we are. Um, and you know, it's when someone calls you stubborn, that's a terrible thing if you're fighting with your partner and you're not prepared to, I don't know, put the toilet seat down or something. But that same quality is really useful and endearing in other circumstances where it's needed. So my comment would be train like, you know, you do have an event because the event's not the important. Pick an imaginary event and stick to the same training schedule, you know? Well, none of us know when the next event's going to be on. I just keep saying, you know, oh, like, yeah, we're still planning on going ahead with our event in July. And then you go, oh, okay, July's gone. So now maybe August will be the... F there are still people who are still saying July, but, you know, just what a great opportunity to just keep training and do it and be training for what that delivers rather than some specific... Right. t-shirt or bling or whatever and i know that was supposed to be a shorter answer sorry jackie but yeah, i'm passionate about that yeah i hope so. and and it's corny and cliche everyone will say something like that but i i you know and i think people have gotten that out of this because they've had no choice i think in the first week it was like oh my god this is cancelled and i was going to go to japan and run the marathon and now whatever and i think like literally just three weeks in people have settled into a new routine where they go well let's just train for when something does happen again and we'll go and do that and I th you know people talk about the good stuff to come out of the the pandemic like the environment copter break and everything maybe one of those good things will be some people will reevaluate what is and isn't important to them about running some people will use the time to get over injuries because they'll go beauty I can you know back off and come back you know after giving my body a break so yeah that would be you know Stay enthusiastic and passionate, regardless of the fact that no one gives you a medal at the end of it. That is the most perfect way to end this conversation. Sputnik, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's always, always a laugh. <laughs> You're awesome. Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. How good was that episode? I love chatting with Sputnik. He's such an incredible storyteller. And in case you're wondering, I know um, he was telling that story of the beautiful man who was running past him whilst he was carrying his rainbow flag. We actually did this interview uh, as a video and um, he gestured what he did. So I'm going to tell you what the man did. So as he turned to look at Sputnik, he put his palms together and bowed his head and then ran off. And um, that was the moment that Sputnik was talking about, which you didn't get to hear because he showed what he did. Um, so there's that. And uh, what I will do is also put a link to the story of um, the Kubipedi Marathon that I found absolutely hilarious. So you will get to um, check it out and have a read as well. Thank you so much for listening in today. It is an honor and I truly appreciate you. If today's podcast has helped you in any way, please leave a review and tell your friends and of course, subscribe. You can also head over to the show notes where you can find all the links mentioned in today's podcast. Have a spectacular day and here's to a world of bodies built better.